Welcome to Myanmar in a Potshell, the podcast that puts current developments in Myanmar into context. My name is Rodion Ebbikhausen, and today we want to talk about Is Myanmar on its own again? The international dimension of the coup d'etat. I would like to discuss the topic with Sorka P and Hunter Marston. Sorka P earned his BA in international relations from San Francisco State University and holds an MA in development economics from Williams College. Sorka P is the founding director of the Salwin Institute for Public Policy and provides leadership for the institute. He previously served as the executive director of Sabiaya Education Foundation. And shortly after the opening of Myanmar, he returned to his home country, but had to leave due to the coup. Hunter Marston is a doctoral candidate in international relations at the Australian National University, where he focuses on great power competition in Southeast Asia and small states hedging strategies. He's the author of a forthcoming chapter on Myanmar in the Routledge Handbook, U.S. Policy in the Indo-Pacific, and has written dozens of journal articles and opinion essays on Myanmar and Southeast Asia in publications including Contemporary Southeast Asia, the Asian Journal of Political Science, the Washington Post, Foreign Policy, and Nikkei Asian Review. So thank you very much for joining us today. So I would like to split today's show into two parts. Um, in the first part, I would like to talk about ASEAN first and foremost, or the ASEAN-Myanmar relation, and then take a step back and look uh, in a, on a broader scale or in a global perspective in the second part. So uh, please, or let's start with the regional perspective, like the, the visit of Cambodia's Prime Minister Han Sen some days ago was condemned by an overwhelming majority of observers and commentators. Most accused him of legitimizing the state administrative council, undermining the five-point consensus of ASEAN, just to air himself up as a statesman. Few, like the former Singaporean diplomat and academic Bilahari Kausikan, who wrote an opinion piece in the Strait Times, applauded Hun Sen for breaking the ice and um, for taking a more realistic approach to Myanmar. So what is your take on this uh, issue, Sokapi? Um, well, thank you. Thank you for the questions. I do not, I personally do not think we can expect a lot from ASEAN to begin with. Um, ASEAN's um, non-intervention or non-interference policy has been in place uh, for a number of years. Even during the previous military regime's time, they did not or they could not deal with or they did not deal with Myanmar's issue effectively. So um, when uh, after military coup uh, in, in February of uh, early last year, February, uh, we 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 looked to the uh, different uh, we looked to countries uh, outside of our regions rather than the regional bloc like ASEANs because we know the history of ASEANs very well in, in, in Myanmar. However, when uh, ASEAN did not, for example, invite Myanmar military leaders to its uh, a regional meet, uh, head of state's meeting the last time, we, uh, we, we had a little bit of hope thinking that ASEAN might be coming back on to the right track and maybe you know taking its uh, its stance towards uh, a military coup in Myanmar this time, uh, but 
um, we know that uh, when uh, uh, Cambodia, uh, uh, turn, it's, it, it's Cambodian, Cambodia's turn to uh, take the leadership role in, in the regional bloc, knowing the history of a Cambodian prime minister himself, uh, uh, we did not expect very much and uh, we were very upset when he went into, into Yangon met with uh, 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 General May Online, Senior General May Online, and yet, you know, despite, uh, uh, you know, voices or maybe expectation initially that he was he was going to be uh, able to meet on San Suji, it didn't take place either. And therefore, this is a very uh, uh, imbalanced diplomatic relationship between Myanmar and ASEAN that Myanmar military leaders took advantage of you know, having another similar, almost like dictator-like uh, uh, leaders in, uh, in, in, in the position of ASEAN chairmanship. And therefore, we think uh, this, uh, uh, the trip was made by Cambodian Prime Minister, indeed was opportunity for Myanmar military to take advantage of its, uh, its, its presence and its, um, its legitimacy in, in the regional uh, international relations, but it didn't benefit any uh, uh, any of Myanmar people. And also, uh, I think uh, he came back from Yangon nowhere close to either fulfilling or getting the ASEAN five-point consensus uh, achieved. Okay. Uh, thank you, Sokapi. So, Hunter, do you agree with Sokapi or do you understand this argument that there needs to be a more realistic, whatever that means, approach and that uh, Hun Sen was an icebreaker for achieving mm. that? Well, I, I find myself agreeing with uh, everything that Selkapi said here. Um, the coup in Myanmar has really shown ASEAN's true colors uh, and divided the uh, regional bloc like no other regional crisis has for, for uh, quite some time or in its history. Uh, and what you really see now is the democratic states within ASEAN lining up on one side, supporting a stronger stance and denying the junta representation within ASEAN meetings. And then the autocrats within ASEAN, including Hun Sen in Cambodia as chair, uh, who support a more engagement-based approach that is inclusive of the Myanmar military junta, um, or looks the other way. I mean, Vietnam and Laos, for instance, have not been very outspoken on this topic. Thailand, similarly, has uh, tried to be somewhat proactive or pragmatic, but not... Uh, in any hurry to push democracy on, on the military generals there, uh, given their own uh, military government uh, at home in Bangkok. Um, so I, I, I find myself agreeing with Sakapi's remarks. Um, Bilahari's uh, own interpretation is characteristically uh, eccentric. Uh, as much as I respect his analysis, uh, generally, um, I find myself disagreeing with him here. So given the, the division you just mentioned uh, inside the, the ASEAN, um, how effective can ASEAN be and how much uh, influence does ASEAN actually have on, on Myanmar? Um, or, like, or maybe put differently, how much can influence from outside the country change the course of action inside Myanmar? So maybe you can give an estimation about this, Hunter? Sure. Um, well, I think ASEAN's five-point consensus remains the best option put forward thus far. Um, the United States and European Union, for instance, have enacted sanctions and censured Myanmar's military coup, but have uh, less influence directly in the country, I think. 
uh, ASEAN as sort of the regional bloc and neighbors of Myanmar is trusted to a greater degree and, and has uh, cross-border and re- intra-regional trade and investment flows, uh, which outside countries may not have. Um, that said, ASEAN, uh, as Sakapi pointed out, is a consensus-based organization. It has no enforcement mechanism, so it's uh, pr- pretty clear uh, that it's unwilling to use any uh, stronger sticks um, as opposed to sort of the uh, the carrots that it's used to uh, using. Um, and, and then again, uh, it's not clear what those sticks or stronger actions would be. Uh, ASEAN appears it's not ready to eject or expel uh, Myanmar's military junta or Myanmar from ASEAN. Um, but uh, at the same time, it doesn't really have many options beyond uh, engagement and uh, bringing about further talks, hopefully on the terms of the five-point consensus, which would include uh, representatives of the national unity government and uh, civilian elected leadership. And um, Sokapi, what, what would you think could um, bring ASEAN to a more united position, if anything, And um, yeah, how can they they sort these things out uh, to approach Myanmar differently, like not in this split manner they are doing at the moment? You know, I think within ASEAN, countries have different. Um, uh, each country within ASEAN has their own, you know, different perspective on on Myanmar, and therefore. I think uh, it would be it will always be difficult for them to deal with Myanmar issue as a block in a consensus manner or per consensus basis. But I think uh, a country like Thailand, in particular, being the immediate neighbor of Myanmar, has a very special role within ASEAN too, because if something happens within Myanmar or along the border, Myanmar-Thailand border, uh, the immediate impact is on on Thailand. And I think uh, Thailand, uh, I, we, we understand, and I understand that uh, they also have their general in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the leadership positions, and, and therefore uh, they probably see uh, or be, uh, feel a lot, a, lot, uh, a lot more sympathetic to the uh, Myanmar military. And yet, I think this is almost like opportunity for both ASEANs and country like, uh, country like uh, Thailand to for example, redeem themselves or redeem itself from from being, for example, a, a, a democratic and, and they would like to keep the country, you know, they are, uh, they have some teeth in their international relations and dealing with uh, a domestic, even if they consider domestic affairs of their member states. And I think uh, if they, if they see it, see it in a, in, in a way that, uh, in, in a way that Myanmar's problem is not only Myanmar problems, And we should not interfere in the country's affairs. But Myanmar's problem is a member of ASEAN. Myanmar is a member of ASEAN. And also uh, what is going on or taking place in Myanmar, for example, the regime's killing, uh, you know, hitting people, protester by car, killing them and using airstrikes, etc., etc. This is not something that the reputation that we or ASEAN as a bloc would like to have. And therefore, if they see it as this is, this is their own reputation, This is their own international relations, and this is a, this is going to uh, impact uh, their, uh, their their reputations in dealing with countries outside of this ASEAN bloc. I think they, that that is they, they should see that in their interest of ASEAN to take a tougher and a more humanitarian stance 
than uh, they currently have uh, uh, at the moment. You mentioned Thailand and you talked a lot of, about reputation. Uh, I would like to ask Hunter, um, do you really think that Thailand is uh, concerned about its reputation so much? I don't. I, so if I look back, like we have had the coup d'etat, they did not care so much. But it's important, I think, to understand which role Thailand plays. For on the one hand, it's a it's an authoritarian regime. They came to power by a coup d'état. Mm -hmm. At the same time, they provide a kind of safe haven uh, to the uh, NUG who lives in the border areas and like uh, going to Thailand. To, so, which role does Thailand play? And is Thailand powerful enough to change the ASEAN's mind, or at least to push it into a direction? That's a great question. I, I think there are a couple of things to say here. Um, Kosak Api mentioned the, the uh, border that is shared between Thailand and Myanmar, and therefore a lot of the um, humanitarian issues and crises associated with uh, COVID, refugee outflows, um, and human trafficking and, and illicit substances like drugs uh, that go across the border and weapons uh, are a shared problem and concern for both countries. So I think Thailand takes very seriously instability within Myanmar. Uh, that said, um, I think its role would be quite limited. I think Thailand and the generals and the NCPO could be much more influential if they chose to stand up and say something or do something, exercise more influence to lean on Minong Hlaing and the, and the junta in Myanmar to take a more responsible course uh, and back down from the current escalation of violence. But uh, that doing so would undermine the political legitimacy of the regime in Bangkok, uh, by speaking out for um, democratic reforms or against the military coup uh, in Myanmar, you know, um, it, it would look uh, very hypocritical given that Thailand's military junta um, came to power in a coup, uh, as you mentioned. Um, but Thailand plays a very important role, and some of this can be done in sort of a quiet, behind-closed-doors um, manner. For instance, U.S. Uh, envoy Derek Cholet traveled to Bangkok in October to talk to the Thai government about um, opening a stronger channel and corridor for humanitarian assistance and aid flows to go to Myanmar. That's very important to alleviate the human suffering inside of Myanmar. It's definitely not enough to change the political direction uh, and events within Myanmar. I think Thailand, uh, and particularly the regime of Prayut Chanocha, will always fall short uh, of taking a more proactive stance and principled stance to Uh, criticize the junta in Myanmar, given its own authoritarian um, proclivities. Thank you. So um, we already discussed a little bit that the consensus principle of ASEAN is hampering a more decisive action. And we have a similar problem or issue with the United Nations because of the veto powers in the UN Security Council, which is different, but it leads to a similar or comparable result. So um, I would like to t now to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. So at the start of the coup or shortly after the coup, um, many protesters in Myanmar endorsed the UN's commitment to the responsibility to protect. Um, there have been and there are still sometimes calls for no-fly zones. And uh, what do you think how realistic and tangible uh, political support or a robust engagement beyond humanitarian aid is there, like to say from the UN or from Uh, the international community. Maybe, uh, Sokapi, you can uh, start with your estimation. I think uh, it was the KNU, you know, the Korean National Union that started calling for uh, no-fly zone, uh, no-fly zone in the area because 
I think the Korean National Union area or control area uh, was has suffered, uh, I think, intensely from the uh, repeated airstrikes from the, um, uh, the SAC or the Myanmar military. Myanmar military. And uh, uh, but uh, looking, you know, knowing uh, how the United Nations works and the, uh, the mechanism uh, of their decision making mechanism uh, and having uh, both, you know, Russia and uh, uh, China on the, uh, the Security Council, we think, you know, it's very unlikely. We know that it's very, we know they're very unlikely and we think it's very unlikely. And yet, you know, this is something that, uh, uh, you know, the situation we are facing, uh, people are being, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, getting airstrike, you know, the military is launching airstrike almost on a daily basis right now. They are getting used to it. You know, they are getting used to, to it. And we would like to call the international attention to to this matter, and 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 I think definitely uh, call for uh, for for no fly zone. But uh, it, it's very unlikely unless we are able to change the mind of, for example, Russia and and, and China in in this kind of you know getting a favorable uh, um, uh, stance or decisions from uh, on their part. Other than that, I, uh, we will we will definitely uh, con- we will continue to face. Uh, this um, uh, this disagreement or or uh, you know blocks uh, blockage from from a couple of members of security council members and and we will not be we will not get that that no fly zones um, no fly zone call for no fly zone. Um, uh, however, uh, I think uh, the the UN, uh, uh, for example, at least from humanitarian on humanitarian ground, you know, right now. Um, we uh, we the international community is not getting access to the uh, to the humanitarian uh, operations uh, for those who even for example uh, got to enter thailand and i think uh, if you know even um, a political decision or highly sensitive political decision cannot be made and and that stance can, we cannot uh, uh, achieve uh, at least on 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 humanitarian ground uh, we 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 think the united nations can do more and can can speak up and can really uh, put more pressure on uh, and, and work with, for example, ASEAN uh, in order to be able to get uh, uh, better access to the um, humanitarian access, uh, operation access to to those who have to uh, who have to enter Thailand. So that's what we at least expect and would like to uh, ask the international community to consider. Yes, of course, I, I understand this, but I would like to set aside this humanitarian uh, aid question for a moment. I would like to focus more on this, uh, let's say, more tangible political support. Um, so why do you think, Hunter Marston, is China and Russia, why are they blocking um, UN secu- or harder UN Security Council decisions? What is their interest and why do we have like a deadlock here as we have in a way on the ASEAN level? Again, a very good question, Rodian. Um, so China and Russia, it's difficult to parse their motives. I, I think both have typically voted against UN resolutions that are seen as intervening in a state's internal affairs. And, and that's at least how they justify their decision, for instance, to abstain from the June UN Security Council vote on a weapons embargo. Um, but I think their motives actually diverge. They're, they're not in sync here with Myanmar. And in fact, I think China and Russia are in many ways competing for influence in Myanmar. The generals uh, benefit from this uh, to a large degree, 
because Minang Hlaing in particular has made many trips to Russia. Uh, the Myanmar military junta is known to be distrustful of China and, and would like to avoid relying too much on China uh, for its uh, economic patronage and political protection. That said, um, I think China is not entirely satisfied with the behavior and decisions made by the Myanmar military since the coup. The instability is terrible for business for China and Chinese business interests in the country. Uh, the military has talked about renewing or continuing uh, hydroelectric damming projects in the north um, and in, in many of the conflict areas in the country. Um, but China has made clear its frustrations with the, the generals, um, and it hasn't fully endorsed the coup uh, and the coup leaders. Um, Russia, if anything, has been far more um, uh, willing to embrace the uh, Myanmar military junta, sending representatives to uh, the National Day Parade or the Armed Forces Parade, maybe Kozafi can uh, correct me there, uh, early on, perhaps it was March, um, when, when the violence was beginning to escalate last year. Um, and since then, uh, the Myanmar military has sent representatives to Russia to acquire further weapons systems and, and bolster that relationship. So I think Russia, in some ways, wants to play spoiler here. Uh, and maintain influence, if anything, to uh, further its influence in Naypyidaw uh, to spite China or at least to play a larger role in Southeast Asia more widely. Um, and its role is generally confined, uh, confined to that of an arms dealer. Um, but, you know, China, China clearly has the upper hand economically. Okay, so uh, maybe it's, it's time to, to ask a very basic question about Myanmar. Um, and uh, I would like to ask Sokapi first. So how would you rate the geopolitical importance of Myanmar as a country? So how, uh, how high on the list of important countries is it, would you say, for like players like China or India or the US? I know there are lots of major powers, like Russia is involved, India mm -hmm. is involved, China. So maybe, but you can say like, why or is it an important country and why is it a key country in the region? Uh, so why do all these major powers think and care about it? Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, definitely for, for China. And, and I think India uh, has been, we can see that India has been quite, you know, they did not really uh, make so much of a big deal about their relationship with, with Myanmar, but their relationship with Myanmar Uh, authorities or Myanmar government or government uh, authorities in Myanmar is in relation to uh, the relationship uh, with with the Chinese or the Chinese Chinese government. So, but for for China, uh, they look at uh, because uh, and uh, it's Myanmar as a very immediate neighbor, uh, being immediate neighbor to China, and also uh, with some of these, uh, for example, uh, uh, some of the seaport project. The gas pipeline project, and there are some major infrastructure projects that uh, uh, China would like to make sure it um, it uh, it has Myanmar on 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 its site, uh, and and therefore they see Myanmar a lot. This I think China uh, sees Myanmar as a very strategic, a geopolitically strategic uh, a country to either maintain or have um, a good relationship with whoever uh, comes into power, regardless, you know, either military, by way of military coup or democratically elected government. So they have shown that consistent, um, consistent uh, desire to, to make sure they, they have access to 
uh, you know, uh, uh, projects and, and, and natural resources in, in the country. The other uh, international, uh, the other strategic reasons uh, for this in the, the importance, uh, geopolitical importance of the country is, you know, um, United States has its own Indo-Pacific strategy and um, uh, China has Myanmar as uh, its an immediate neighbor and it would like to make sure you know they are able to uh, uh, they know that indo-pacific strategy is in, uh, in the western or Myanmar, united states approach to counter china's influence into the region and even you know when the united states for example say that they would like ASEAN or they would like to engage Myanmar and support ASEAN positions in, in, in engaging uh, engaging Myanmar, uh, the Chinese, I think, uh, are well aware that this is part of the broader Indo-Pacific strategies to counter uh, China's influence in the region. And therefore, you know, Myanmar military also knows that, you know, these power or superpowers are competing for influence and would like to have access to, to the country. And therefore, uh, they see them, themselves as geopolitically uh, strategic in, in a strategic position or strategic uh, um, uh, uh, location as, as 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 a strategic country as well. So um, I see more obviously from China and and uh, uh, some Western countries than uh, India. Uh, but um, you know, like you know, Hunter said, I we it it is very difficult to say what specifically you know to pinpoint uh, a Chinese interest and why they uh, continue to, for example. Uh, support um, uh, um, Myanmar military in in some international arena that we, you know, we we very much don't like to to see as Myanmar citizens. And maybe we should also talk about Japan, which is a kind of a silent achiever or influencer in Myanmar. They do not talk about it that much, but they are very big. There is a lot of money uh, from Japan, so maybe we should also talk about Japan. Um, so. Please, maybe you can talk about these two uh, points. Given your invitation to uh, flag uh, forthcoming work, I, I will shamelessly take the opportunity to do so. I, I have an article coming out uh, soon in the Journal of Contemporary uh, Southeast Asian Affairs or Current Southeast Asian Affairs uh, about exactly Myanmar's foreign policy and hedging in the last decade. Um, so if you look back to the initial political reforms in 2011, following the 2008 constitution and 2010 elections. Um, at this time, Myanmar and, and the ex-generals of the USDP really looked to the United States as their ticket out of over-dependence on uh, China, which had come to dominate the country in the 2000s under the SPDC regime. So at that time, China dominated the economy. They were blocking UN votes to isolate the junta. Uh, in the United States and the Obama administration with its policy review towards the Myanmar junta really signaled a potential sea change uh, for the country's foreign policy. And not only the United States, but then the European Union were suspending uh, sanctions, economic sanctions on the country and allowing for international investment to come into the country as the Thein Sein administration loosened up uh, political controls to allow for a modest amount of uh, press freedom, freedom of demonstration and, and civil liberties. Um, but Coincidentally, uh, or not so coincidentally, following the uh, Rakhine State crisis, uh, which saw the expulsion of um, almost a million Rohingya 
um, in 2016 and 2017, the United States uh, sort of lost its patience with Myanmar's reforms and increasingly saw the NLD actually as, and the, and the military as in cahoots and um, trending in a bad direction. At this time, China's influence really came back uh, into um, uh, the center uh, stage. And at that time, uh, I think the Myanmar military was realizing that the West was not to be trusted. It couldn't take a values-based approach. And so it started to deepen ties with India and Russia, as Sawakaki has a reference here. Uh, Japan, also a very influential player. Japan, for instance, had a special envoy uh, which played an instrumental role in the ceasefire negotiations between the powerful Arakan army and the Tatmadaw in 2019 and 2020. Um, also, Japan is a major investor in the country and provider of official uh, development assistance. Um, Japan has been very soft-spoken about the coup, has not pursued sanctions like the United States or European Union, and therefore preserves its influence in a way that's seen as more even-handed, uh, even if it's sacrificed uh, values of human rights and democracy. Um, to, to bring this back to my earlier discussion point regarding Myanmar's hedging, today the generals are no longer hedging between the West and the East. It's no longer the United States versus China, even if that um, bipolar framing consumes uh, most of our scholarship and Western media focus on Southeast Asia. In Myanmar, it's really Russia, China, Japan um, that are vying for influence here, and, and to a lesser extent, some of the Southeast Asian countries and neighbors within ASEAN. Uh, but Myanmar benefits, or the Myanmar generals benefit from having uh, Russia and China there to protect them, and other states advancing a more pragmatic or uh, values-free agenda like Japan, who are saying, you know, it's not our place to decide events in Myanmar. The generals are going to do what they want. We can't change that. So let's just face the facts, sort of like Bilahari's uh, framing that you referenced earlier in our discussion. Okay, so we have seen now, or we have talked about that, um, how difficult it is for ASEAN to have uh, a united approach, how uh, difficult it is for UN to find um, a common position. And we have also discussed like different interests of uh, countries. So um, maybe what can you say, like, who is left to uh, give support to Myanmar or to Myanmar people on this list? And uh, what options would you say are there which have not been used? Um, and how, are, how realistic is their implementation? So maybe what are you, so who's left to actually help and what can they do? Can you give some examples or ideas? Um, maybe Sokapi, you can start. I think... Um... You know, when uh, the country was open for a period between 2000, a little bit more open uh, in the, um, uh, between 2010, 11 and 2021, uh, there were so many, um, I think, Nordic countries and uh, some European countries present in the country, in, in, in Myanmar. And I think, you know, when uh, time comes, a time like this, in a time like this, I think um, Myanmar people do look up to, for example, uh, countries like that. You know, I think Germany is one, and 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 a, a few other uh, Nordic countries, Norway, Sweden, uh, for for their support. You know, I think I and we understand, and we understand uh, nations and countries will make uh, their decision uh, based on their national interest. And yet, you know, uh, we also uh, we also uh, expect some. 
a humanitarian approach to to some of these problems because essentially at the end of the day uh, even though we we know that uh, ASEAN uh, does, does doesn't really want to interfere in its member states internal affair but by working with or by dealing with by supporting uh, this illegitimate military regime is already interfering in the country's domestic domestic affairs. You know, it's just a matter of whether you in, intervene in the country's internal affair, internet affairs through state mechanism or a different other other mechanism. So, uh, you know, we 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 look up to other you know uh, a few other European countries, and we hope and and Nordic countries that can, for example, influence uh, influence uh, their other uh, European partners or Western. Western partners or Western friendly, uh, uh, democratic friendly country, democracy friendly countries in, in the West, and the other the other um, dynamic or dimension that that we 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 want to see is uh, some if it is very difficult for some countries to or or as ASEAN as a bloc or United Nations to make some decisions, I think there are some bilateral relations uh, that you know for example United States. Can, for example, bilaterally work with a country like Thailand, for example, or there are some influence that a country like United States can have uh, uh, with uh, uh, on uh, its relationship with uh, maybe, so for example, uh, Bangladesh. You know, because these are the countries that you know immediately are uh, 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 receiving impacts from whatever taking you know going on in in, in Myanmar domestically. So these that's that's the area we would like to explore and we hope that you know there can be some development in 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 that in that regard or at that bilateral relations through those bilateral relations we can put a little bit more pressure on uh Myanmar coup has already been done we cannot really undo the coup you know it's it's very it's very obvious but i think what happens the oppression the suppressions and all these kind of you know ruthless uh, airstrikes and uh, you know, continue fightings that are going on in the countries. I think international uh, community, if they come together on a, in a bilateral uh, uh, manner or multilateral uh, manners, uh, the, there are ways, or I'm, I'm sure they can they can formulate you know a better uh, strategy or better uh, means to really curb, for example, uh, not to at least not to number one to not to embolden the regime in Myanmar. Because right now the regime's mentality is that we expel, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of Rohingya people in 2016 and 17, and they did not do anything, or we we got away with it. Now what happened? We did airstrike. We launched airstrikes on a daily basis. International communities cannot, or they 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 don't have any plan, or they cannot come together and and come up with any 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 plan to to counter what we do. Uh, what we do in the country, so almost like not doing is inter not doing anything or not being able to come up with any strategy is almost like doing something to embolden uh, the 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 Myanmar military, and I think that's some that's the burden is on us to really try to figure out you know there are you know some bilateral multilateral relationship beyond for example conventional uh, bodies like uh, United Nations. And ASEANs, you know, if those mechanisms do not work, let's think about something else. So I think uh, that's what I I will look uh, towards. Okay, but but what would that be? You say something 
different. We have to, if UN and ASEAN doesn't work, so what or who could it be? I'm, I'm really asking myself yes. this question a lot. Yes. Um, and maybe Hunter, you have an idea. And of course, I want to mention like there are discussions about an arms embargo. There is the discussion go around the gas sanctions or with Total and Chevron. Uh, but how to go about it and who would be able to implement it or to uh, to, to at least like um, make it really happen? Uh, like who could come into play? Maybe Hunter, you have a good idea. Yeah, a couple thoughts. Um, and thank you for uh, forwarding this question to me. Um, I, I agree with everything Sawkapi said uh, again. Um, I, I would also point to the role Singapore plays. Um, and again, uh, referencing the trip that uh, State Department Counselor Derek Cholet made to the region in October in Singapore, um, what came out of a meeting with uh, the Monetary Authority was a tweet where he said, we discussed ways to limit the Burmese military regime's access to overseas financial assets. Uh, and Singapore in particular holds a very important role uh, with um, reports of Myanmar military and family members holding bank accounts in Singapore, uh, as well as joint ventures based in Singapore, which finance the Myanmar military. Uh, Singapore is an important ally or partner of the United States and the Indo-Pacific, and the United States could certainly lean more heavily on Singapore to play a, a more important role and step up to, if not implement sanctions, which Singapore's foreign minister has made clear they don't want to enforce against Myanmar, or don't see as uh, wise, uh, then, then to uh, take a more direct role in cutting off the military's access to overseas financing. Um, Singapore is probably the most vital uh, country in, in uh, ASEAN to have uh, overseas uh, bank accounts for the Myanmar military. Uh, and, and I mentioned Singapore as an ally or partner of the United States. Japan, equally so, uh, is probably the most vital uh, U.S. ally in Asia. Um, you know, Korea arguably could, could uh, play, play a role here, um, perhaps some kind of trilateral uh, dialogue. Um, you know, this could also extend to Australia, another ally of the United States. I don't think, I don't get the sense that uh, Washington has put much pressure on its allies to line up a united front uh, to coerce and isolate the military junta in Myanmar. Uh, and then finally, one point I've I've made, and I don't think uh, is is much appreciated in uh, general these days, given the state of U.S.-China frictions um, geopolitically. But the United States and China both see the ASEAN Five Point Consensus as the best way to achieve a diplomatic progress going forward with Myanmar, um, and that's probably an underexplored avenue for the two great powers of the world to uh, advance a proactive solution here with Myanmar. Okay, so I would like to bring the national unity government into play. So we know that some foreign governments are supporting the, the NUG with money, with technical assistance and so on and so forth. So there are, something is happening, but um, at the same time, so there is regular cooperation and it talks and working together. But at the same time, uh, foreign go uh, governments are reluctant to recognize the national unity government. And that is something each government or each government in the world can do on its own. They would not need the UN or the ASEAN. They could just do it because it's uh, their sovereign right. So why do you think uh, has nobody really taken the step to recognize the NUG or why are they reluctant to do so? Um, and maybe Hunter, you can start and then uh, Soka P can add something. Well, I think for the United States, um, 
recognizing the national unity government would be seen as taking sides in this conflict. Uh, to an extent, it's been reluctant to do so far. The United States uh, is not what it used to be. It, it, it's content to pass economic sanctions and sort of wag its finger and make uh, lofty statements to censure the military coup and support the return of democracy um, and restraint by all parties in Myanmar. And yet it has not backed that up with concrete action. Um, so I think that and the other concern would be that the United States is very reluctant to endorse um, an opposition government or elected government here, which um, directly or indirectly supports armed conflict. And the national unity government, of course, has uh, endorsed a nationwide uprising inside of Myanmar and now has uh, some control over the people's defense forces across the country, not, not uh, total control, of course. Um, but I think Washington is overly concerned, in my opinion, with taking sides in an armed conflict that would end up um, requiring it along the lines of Ukraine, for instance, to either arm or step in uh, in, a, in a more demonstrable way to back up its um, loyalties there. And I, I don't think it's willing to invest uh, that much skin in the game. So I think it's therefore going to sit this one out, so to speak, and uh, confine its uh, diplomatic role to economic sanctions and um, trying to advance more coalitional diplomacy behind the scenes. And why do you think, Sokapi, is everybody shying away to recognize the national unity government? Um, it's very unfortunate. I, I don't really know. I don't, you know, it's very difficult to say, you know, point to the reason, specific reasons why some countries or uh, countries are reluctant to support NUG. But I, uh, generally speaking, uh, let's say, for example, I put myself in the shoes of some state leaders or, or leaders of some countries. Um, NUG, as it, as it uh, stands right now, uh, to, you know, I probably will be a little bit reluctant to immediately support NUG as well because um, uh, we don't see uh, that NUG probably is uh, very slow to be able to garner support from, for example, or tangible collaboration with all the ethnic armed organizations at this point in the country. Uh, and and um, uh, it, it is also, you know, I am not, you know, someone who like to see charismatic leader because I don't want to, I think the era of having charismatic leaders in a movement or struggle is gone. And I, we want, we would like to leave that behind. Uh, uh, but uh, we do need some uh, very sharp, articulate leaders at the top, you know, uh, and, and even if we have collective leadership, uh, we do need uh, a few people or a few uh, a few leaders who can articulate and who can and uh, 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 you know present the case uh, uh, to to the international community. And I think uh, in, uh, uh, it's at this at this point, NUG probably needs to try a little bit more to 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 have that you know to have that at at leadership. The other is, um, it's just uh, Myanmar problem is very, um, you know, every country's problem is unique, but uh, we have 22 at least ethnic armed organizations in the country up until February 1st, 2021. But after 2000, February 1st, 2021, now we are into the, early, you know, January 2022. In Myanmar, there are so many uh, small 
armed, uh, um, uh, you know, they are not well equipped, but they, nonetheless, they are armed um, uh, resistant groups, uh, uh, mostly, you know, Myanmar or Burman resistant groups in the country too. And I just think that some countries just don't know how to deal with all these different bits and pieces of issues and uh, all these different organizations that are in the country. And they probably don't want to see proliferation of smaller, uh, small uh, armed uh, groups in the country, you know, in addition to the 22 groups. So that's that's one thing. The other is, um, you know, if there is um, a, a... either an organization or, or a government like NUG uh, can, for example, uh, assemble uh, all the different or can uh, uh, all the different uh, ethnic different uh, ethnic armed organizations. Uh, I think uh, there might be, you know, so at least uh, um, uh, some part of the United States or some countries might be willing to stand behind or feel the confidence to stand behind or to support uh, uh, to support the, the, that kind of leadership. But now I think we have a lot more work work to do on on that part too. Okay, Hunter, you wanted to add something. Yeah, I just wanted to um, actually clarify some of my remarks on U.S. policy. Um, so I, I made it sound like the United States is not going to recognize the national unity government and will not do so for fear of legitimizing or, or endorsing an armed conflict. That actually runs counter to U.S. legislation right now. In December, uh, President Biden signed the National Defense Authorization Act, which explicitly calls for the U.S. government to support and legitimize the National Unity Government, the civil disobedience movement, and other entities promoting democracy in Myanmar, while denying legitimacy and resources to the military. Um, And I, I think, actually, that gives the Biden administration a lot more leeway and space to work within that uh, sort of murky legal um, definition to uh, provide assistance to the national unity government. Um, and I would suspect that the U.S. Embassy and U.S. Uh, AID uh, um, in the country are, are probably having talks with the national unity government and at least providing some logistical support um, behind the scenes. That said, it, it probably won't become uh, more overt but I don't think it would really be a, bre- a serious breach of U.S. policy to officially recognize or endorse the national U- unity government, given that legislation that's already in place. Okay, so I, I want to come to my last question. So we have now um, went through a lot of perspective and countries, and we found out that uh, the situation in the country is, as Sokapi said, like there are lots of group, everything is split into bits and pieces. And we have a similar picture if we look to the world. There are bits and pieces of interests and interests groups, and they are not coming to a common ground. There is not a, a, a united position, and that is a, a big problem. But maybe if you, um, at the end of the show, if you, you can think of a, a, a person, an agency, or any country which could work as a kind of a negotiator or mediator to settle the conflict, whenever time is right, I don't know when that would be, but if there is anybody who could play the role of a mediator between the opposition, the NUG, the different forces, the Tatmadaw, if it would ever be, yeah, what time would ever be ripe. Can you think about anybody? I think, you know, in Myanmar case, it would be very difficult for big countries or superpower countries like um, uh, uh, United States and China to really play that role very overtly uh, uh, in the country. China probably has... Was able to do that a little bit in the in the for example initial peace process when we were negotiating nationwide ceasefire agreement, 
you know, the presence of Chinese special envoy in the peace negotiation room was uh, very significant. And you can say they have a lot of influence and they were able to almost play sort of uh, um, um, mediation role to some extent. Uh, but um, I think at this point, it would be very difficult. And the question now also is whether this, you know, we know a little bit about negotiations. If you are, um, if we, if the opposition, for example, or if the democratic forces or the resistant forces are very weak, there will be no interest from um, from the part of the regime to negotiate at all, because why should they, right? Uh, it's, it's very obvious. But I think um, uh, in order for, us to even uh, to hope or to expect some kind of uh, um, negotiation to be able to to take place or we have opportunity or or to be able to create an opportunity for negotiations i think there there are some works to be done uh, to at least uh, you know uh, um, tilt the balance a little bit you know to to uh, be between this current uh, um, uh, military regime and the opposition or the resistance the resistance movement I mean, if uh, they, they can launch airstrike on a daily basis and nobody can tell anything or nobody, you know, can uh, and can counter them, uh, there is no sign of uh, um, a concrete steps or concrete uh, support from uh, either international community or neighboring countries it, uh, for the resistance. I, I don't think they will they will care very much, or it will be in their interest uh, in the interest of the regime to to come to negotiation table. So that's uh, that's the first point. The second point, I guess, is a country like, for example, uh, Japan. You know, I think Hunter also mentioned the role of Japan. I think it's very important, and they have a very special, unique uh, uh, relationship or unique history with, uh, for example, Burma's independence movement and the history of Myanmar independence movement, and also even uh, and the previous peace negotiation process. I think uh, through the Nippon Foundation. Uh, I think Japan played a very significant role in influencing, or to some extent, uh, in the process. Both, you know, I, I think they are both ethnic armed organizations and the military regime itself see Japan as a credible, for example, uh, uh, intervener or a credible, uh, a credible force out there that would like to see uh, the the uh, true negotiation takes take place and i think that's why i think they also have a role and they also have the many the capacity and and uh, and i think they are being in the broader asia or east asia region and therefore uh, we w i would hope that you know if there is a country that i need to pick i think probably japan comes close the closest to 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 that kind of um uh, that kind of support or you know mediation role that they can play Okay, thank you. So you would bet in a way on Japan, Sokapi, or you would say that they have the best chances. Uh, Hunter, what is your take? Do you have so? And and we have seen that time for negotiation has not yet come. That is clear and obvious because both sides are sure in a way to win. So there is no need for negotiation. But um, taking this aside, um, in the future maybe there will be some time where this uh, where the strengths are balanced or where one or both sides think they won't win that easily. So maybe there will be negotiation. Who could be a player? Who could be the one who can do it? Yeah, I think uh, Kosa Kapi hits on something here with the, the potential role of Japan. There's been some talk of special envoy Sasakawa playing a greater role uh, as a something of a negotiation facilitator based on his previous success with the Arakan army and military in 2020. 
That said, I think he's a little, he's somewhat perceived as too close to the military, and I'm not sure if he's trusted universally within Myanmar society. Um, but then again, perhaps that gives him the access he needs to do the job. Um, uh, a more cynical take, uh, personally, I think 2022 is going to be a disastrous year for Myanmar. Um, you know, 2021 was horrible already, but with Cambodia as chair and both the People's Defense Forces and the military really dug in across the country and showing themselves committed to protracted conflict. I don't see any space for resolution this year. Uh, However, in 2023, Indonesia will become the ASEAN chair and Myanmar's military will supposedly uh, hold elections on its watch, barring the National League for Democracy. So I think it will be very uh, the military will want at least a de-escalation of conflict to hold an election that is perceived in some quarters. Um, granted, that won't be endorsed by the West or democracies like the United States, but it wants some a veneer of legitimacy for the elections that it will hold to include whichever parties it chooses uh, under highly rigged and controlled circumstances. Um, those conditions, uh, with Indonesia playing a greater diplomatic role within ASEAN, could provide a few moving blocks to return to a diplomatic process. Um, so the military might, I'm, I'm really just thinking this throughout in my head as I speak, but the military might want to hold elections and to stave off uh, further conflict. It might have to negotiate some peace with the People's Defense Forces, which includes uh, demands for representation from the National Unity Government if not Aung San Suu Kyi herself, who's already uh, well advanced in her age, perhaps um, those demands and ASEAN's taking a stronger stance could induce the military to reconsider its uh, firm demands to um, see to the five-point consensus only uh, in accordance with its own roadmap internally. Um, That would require a lot of creative thinking, but perhaps by 2023, there's more room for maneuver there. Okay, thank you very much uh, for your insights and sharing your thoughts uh, on this on the international dimension of the conflict. Uh, and if I don't misunderstand or misunderstood you, you both think at some day, at some point, there will be a kind of negotiation, but it's very hard to tell who would be involved and how this would play out. So, uh, and thanks for listening to Myanmar in a Potshell. Please tune in again next time. Um, have a good day. Thank you very much. 